we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Open with me, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 77. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, please help me not to depend upon myself in pride. God's got a way of putting humility in you. Uh, Psalm 77. I'm, I'm excited and, and thrilled to be able to preach and, and grateful that pastor allows us to do so and trusts us. It's certainly not something that any of us who get to preach take lightly, and, and it shouldn't be something that we take lightly at all. It's, there are some, perhaps even this morning in this room, that are depending on God to speak to them somehow and to help them in their need this morning. And I'm happy to report that God is here and he is here to help. He's here to strengthen. He's here to guide. And he is our answer. And so I'm asking the Lord to, to help me this morning as I preach from Psalm 77. We'll read the first three verses and we'll pray together one more time and then we'll jump right into the message. Psalm 77 verse 1, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord, my sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. The title of my message this morning is, In the Day of My Trouble. In the Day of My Trouble. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the Word of God and how it has every answer that we need for every issue that we have. You are our answer. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts and minds to the Scriptures. I pray that you would speak to us as if we were the only one sitting under your preaching. And I pray that you would help me as your mouthpiece, that you would direct my thoughts and give me clarity. And God, that you would fill me with thy spirit. And I also pray that everyone listening would be spirit-filled listeners and that your will would be accomplished, that your people would be helped, that Jesus would be exalted. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You read at the very beginning of Psalm 77. It's, it may be placed a little differently in, in different uh, your different Bibles. But to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. So who in the world is Jeduthun and Asaph? Well, these are two descendants of Levi. They have another brother named Heman. And so these three are brothers and descendants of Levi and used in the temple worship and, and uh, with songs. They're chief musicians, as the scriptures tell us. And in a couple of places, all three of them are called prophets in First Chronicles 16. And then in First uh, uh, Chronicles 25, Asaph is called a seer. So the things that they write 
obviously inspired of God, and they prophesy, especially Asaph and some of his uh, psalms, prophesies of the Messiah and his suffering. And, and so these men were servants of God. They loved the Lord, and God had gifted them in, in their musical talents. They were instrumentalists. They wrote songs. They sang. God had gifted them. By the way, wasn't it great to see new faces in the orchestra this morning? using their gifts and talents for the Lord. That's a blessing. That's encouraging to look over and see the young people in there. Mr. Hickman's included in those young people. But the Bible talks about, and Asaph speaks of this day of his trouble. What was the psalmist's trouble exactly? Well, we don't know. It's not given to us in the Scripture. We don't know exactly. But we do know that trouble is found often in the scripture and people find themselves often in trouble and it's described and defined differently nonetheless it's all trouble one of the definitions of trouble is a pressing in kind of the idea of the enemy besieging surrounding a city and closing in closer to to strangle it of its life and to take everything good from it it means loaded with stress Loaded with stress or wounded. Whether self-inflicted wounds or the unfortunate wounds of another by words or deeds. It comes as a result of unconfessed sin. Trouble is full of sorrow, being sorrowful or grieved over uh, the, the loss of a loved one or a friend. It's grief. It's discouragement. It, uh, it is fear, being fearful of all of the what-ifs because of the trouble. I want you to understand that the struggle the psalmist had uh, with his grief and with his fear seems to have been over by the time he was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write Psalm 77. He said, I cried unto God, and he gave ear unto me. Aren't you thankful for answered prayer? But as he gets on the other side and God has given him victory, he comes back inspired of the Holy Spirit and he writes very honestly, very vulnerably about his, the feelings of his heart. And so he's honestly sharing his heart. He's making himself very vulnerable in order to show us what to do in the day of our trouble. So what did the psalmist do in the day of his trouble? I have four thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, we find them in verses 1 through 3 that we read just a moment ago. Number one, he made a desperate cry. In his day of trouble, he made a desperate cry. The Bible says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. You know, Asaph did the right thing. In his day of trouble, he brought it to God, and that's the right thing. That's always the right thing that we bring our trouble to God. But I want you to understand, this was a deep hurt and grief, whatever it was, in the life of Asaph. This wasn't a quiet meditation. You find the Bible says in verse 1 that he cried unto God with his voice, with my voice. Twice he speaks of his voice uh, showing his griefs and crying out loud about those griefs. And that deep hurt is what caused him 
uh, to use his voice to, to share and to, to cry out with those griefs. He had an intense longing to hear from God. And here's the thing. He knew God when he prayed. He knew God heard him. And you and I know that when we pray, God hears us. Matthew Henry said, Days of trouble must be days of prayer. In days of inward trouble, especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us, we must seek Him and seek till we find Him. In the day of His trouble, He did not seek for the diversions of busyness or recreation. To shake, uh, to shake off His trouble that way, but he sought God and his favor and grace. Those that are under trouble of mind must not think to drink it away or laugh it away, but pray it away. And we can all say amen to that. Verse number two, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. The psalmist says that he poured out his heart all night long. He did not cease. He was so burdened and so heavy that he prayed. He cried out to God all night long, but he didn't find relief from his trouble. Maybe encouraging thoughts came to mind, but they were immediately overtaken with the negative thoughts of his trouble. Perhaps friends spoke of God's goodness, but his soul refused any comfort. Sometimes we don't want to be comforted. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we seem to wallow in, at times, our trouble. And, and the, the desire we have is that sometimes we're convinced that we deserve no comfort. He refused to be comforted. In verse 3, I remembered God. I thought about what God should do and why he should do it and the time frame in which he should do it. I remembered God and was troubled. Now, this word troubled is a different Hebrew word than the one in verse number 2. This one means to roar. It implies chaos. Uh, he had all of these different thoughts and what-ifs and circumstances and troubles and things going on in his mind, and it caused chaos. It caused trouble in his heart and in his mind. As he thought about God, knowing that God had heard his cries, knowing that God could fix his problem but didn't, there was confusion and conflicting thoughts within. Why won't God help me? Verse 3 goes on, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. He went from crying to complaining. It means he was swept away in thought. The inner conversation was all negative. And he sank under the load and it began to take control of him. We need to be very careful at what we allow ourselves to say within. I've been fascinated with that thought for several weeks and looking and finding just so many uh, thoughts and, and, and scripture that 
that talks about the inward heart, the thoughts of our heart, the intents, the, the motives, and the things that we actually say to ourselves. And I'll just give one example, but in Matthew chapter number 9, there were Pharisees who saw the four uh, friends carrying their lame uh, friend in, in the bed and went up to the roof of the house and broke open the roof and lowered him down. And Jesus said these words, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Pharisees who were standing there, the Bible says that they said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. This man blasphemeth. They didn't realize that as they were saying, this man blasphemeth, that they were actually the ones blaspheming Jesus Christ and His holy name. And that same attitude and that same pride continued with many of the Pharisees, the religious crowd. And, and though they were religious in front of people and pious, their hearts were like sepulchers, like graves. They were dead men walking, and they ended up without Christ in hell. Many of them. But then, a few verses later, there is a woman who has had an issue of blood for many, many years. She's spent all of her living. She's given everything. She is desperate. It is the day of her trouble. Jesus and the thronging crowd is, is going to Jairus' house, and he is going to raise the now dead daughter to life. But before he gets there, the woman said within herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, then I would be healed. It was what she said within, uh, that faith within, that caused her to act in faith and reach out to Jesus Christ. And that day, she was not only made whole uh, physically, she was called a daughter of God. Jesus said, daughter. She became a child of God. It's very important what we say within ourselves. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. And that's why God has given us his word, and he wants us to be, uh, our minds to be saturated with his word so that it, when the lies and the accusations come from the enemy and our own voice within is condemning and telling us uh, how, uh, how much we failed and how sorry we are and all of the conversation that goes on, we can look to the truth of God's word and understand what God thinks, what our identity is in Christ. Oftentimes we find in our trouble that our lives become defined by the struggle, by the trouble, by the grief, by the sorrow. I don't want to be defined by that as a believer. God doesn't want us to be defined by that. You see, the complexity and the heaviness of the situation Asaph was in merits a moment of consideration. And so we read the last word of verse number three, Selah. What does that mean? It means to pause, to consider, to think about it, to meditate on it. What, would, what should we consider? Perhaps several things, but a couple of things here I want to mention. Consider your trouble. I don't know what uh, way you would define your trouble this morning. 
Now you may be in your day of trouble. And I want you to understand as a result of what we've just read, you're not alone. You know, Satan likes to isolate. He wants to get us feeling like we're all alone. But I want you to understand, you're not the only one who's gone through this, and you're not the only one who is in your day of trouble. You're not alone, and there's a purpose. God understands and knows everything that goes on, and everything that He allows in our lives has a purpose. So consider your trouble. But may I say this, consider others who are troubled. And be prayerful and patient with them. You may not be able to understand why people respond and, 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 and do what they do in the ways that they do them. Perhaps it's because they're having a hard day. Perhaps they're in their season of trouble. Perhaps they're carrying a burden that you have no idea about. May God help us to be considerate of those in their day of trouble. And pray for them and to be patient with them with no judgment, but for the grace of God, will be in our day of trouble. And so we understand that the psalmist made a desperate cry, but not only that, he made a diligent search. Look in verses 4 through 9. Verse 4, he continues, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. The psalmist cannot sleep. He's crying then complaining, but now he just can't speak at all. He's so burdened, he's so overwhelmed with what's going on, he is speechless. And there's a hint of blame. He says the first two words of verse 4, Thou holdest. Oh, be careful. The deeper that we go in our trouble often brings us to a place to where we're tempted to blame God for these things. Where have you been? Why haven't you helped? God, do you even care? McLaren said, sorrow like a beast of prey devours at night, and every sad heart knows how eyelids, however wearied, refuse to close, but gaze wide open into the blackness and see dreadful things there. This man felt as if God's finger was pushing up his lids and force, forcing him to stare out into the night. Verse 5, he says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. In other words, he looked back on the good of his past and even the past ages for answers for something that would make sense. Verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. And the idea is there have been times in his life when even in darkness and sorrow, he could sing. He could bring a song and, 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 and sing it out to the Lord when he could find things for which to praise God that encouraged him. He's searching with a desire to have that joy renewed. He said, I communed with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. He diligently searched inwardly and outwardly for answers, but it only brought more questions. And we see a series of questions in verses 7 through 9 that he questions and in ways accuses God. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? What is he saying? He's saying the Lord has cast me off. Is it going to last forever? He felt like God had cast him away. But in reality, had he? 
And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? His promise has failed me. I have prayed. Will it continue to fail me? But has God's word failed him? Verse 9, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And as he communes with his heart, he feels he's been cast off. He's no longer favored. There is no mercy. God's word doesn't work. God no longer is gracious. And God's mad at me and questions. He questions if it will ever change. He saw no end in sight, no light at the end of the tunnel, no path to the desired end. Asaph felt hopeless. Some of you have been there. And then he says, Selah, pause to consider these things. What should we consider with these accusations, with these feelings? We should consider the truth. Oftentimes we have thoughts and we have feelings that are contrary to the word of God. What should we do, though? We should compare those with what? Truth. Will the Lord cast off forever? Romans 11.1 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Will he be favorable no more? Lamentations 3.32 But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. Is his mercy clean gone forever? Psalm 103.17 But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. Consider the truth. Challenge the thoughts with the truth. Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hebrews 6.18 That by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. God's word is true, and it will always be true, and he will always do what he said he will do. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Psalm 116.5 gives the truth. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy, what? Shall follow me all the days of my life. He had many conflicting thoughts and feelings and questions. But as we consider these feelings and thoughts and questions and understand that we do the same thing, we must compare them to the truth of what God said is right. What God said is true. Consider this. Spurgeon said, if you're a child of God, yet never had to ask these questions, you ought to be very grateful. But if you have to ask them, be very thankful that Asaph, Asaph asked them before you and believe that as he had a comfortable answer to them, so shall you. It is always a comfort when you see when you can see the footprints of another man in the mire, for if that man passed through unharmed, so may you, for his God shall be also your helper. 
We say misery loves company, and the truth of the matter is that oftentimes we are encouraged in our trouble when we know that there are others who have experienced a similar trouble. And Asaph has experienced it to a depth that many of us don't understand and to a depth that many of us do. But keep in mind, he made it out and God helped him, and we're going to see that, and God's going to help you. Asaph spoke things that believers are rarely willing to speak about. Many believers won't risk this kind of honesty. But you see, Asaph emptied himself before God. It was total disclosure of all of his thoughts and all of his feelings. Were all of them right? No. But they were all in here. Were all of them good? No. But they were in here. And he poured them out. He emptied himself of these thoughts and of these things. And by the way, do you think God already knew them? Absolutely. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful, worried, uh, anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, I want you to take everything that is within you, that is burdening you, the thoughts and the conflict and the confusion, and I want you to pour it out to me, everything, all of it, with utter honesty. God says, I already know how you feel. I'm not asking you to do this for me. I'm telling you to do it for you because as you empty yourself, you are filled with the peace of God that he offers. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It doesn't change your day of trouble, but what it does change is your outlook on it. And when he got all of that out, God began to put something back in to Asaph. And we come to number three. He made a determined decision. He made a determined decision. Verse 10, and I said, this is my infirmity. This infirmity, whether it's about his day of trouble or about his false accusations of God in the in the previous verses, what is he saying? He's simply saying, this is my lot. This is where I am right now. There's nothing I can do about it, and I'm here. This is the truth of the matter. He acknowledged and accepted where he was, but he was determined not to stay. He said, but I will remember Three different times he says, I will remember. Four different times he says, I will. I will. I will. I will. I am where I am. This is the day of my trouble. I don't have the answers. It doesn't feel good, but I'm not going to stay here. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He remembered God was all-powerful. God can do anything. God spoke everything into existence. 
everything that we know and see and the unseen things, God has spoken into existence. God is almighty. Well, what a fitting hymn for us to sing this morning. How great thou art. And it doesn't matter what the trouble is. And I'm not trying to belittle the day of our trouble. But no matter how big the trouble is, our God is greater. He's all-powerful. Verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. He remembered God's works. He remembered the things, that, the, mirror, uh, the, the works that God had established, the things that God had done. He remembered God's works and that they're perfect. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. He remembered God's miracles, the supernatural things that that God did, the ones that happened for him, the ones that he saw in the temple, the ones that he saw of God's people, the ones that he saw for his nation of Israel. He remembered God's miracles. Well, it's not long after having a day of trouble or a season of trouble. But if you think about that day that you came to know Jesus Christ, that God can begin to pull you out of that way of thinking by remembering. He also said in verse number 12, I will meditate also of all thy work. Meditate. What does it mean? It's a continual uh, contemplation. It's, it, it, it carries the idea of even talking to yourself, murmuring to yourself about those thoughts, about those ponderings. It is to study he said, I'm going to study your work. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to ponder and I'm going to imagine. That's what to meditate means, to imagine what God can do. You know, oftentimes we imagine dark things. We imagine what bad things are going to happen. Okay, and sometimes they can. But why not imagine in your mind the wonderful things that God can do? Ponder the things that God can do. If he's done it in others' lives, he can do it in yours, and he can do it in mine. Ponder those things. And then he said, and talk of thy doings. I will remember, I will meditate, and talk. I will talk of thy doings. He put forth his thoughts. He expressed them. He talked about who God is to himself and to others. And here Asaph presented a, a three-step process to responding to the day of trouble. It begins with remembering God's great works. How great thou art, his wonders of old. Then we should meditate on those works and what they may have to teach us today and how they apply to us today. And the third step is to talk of these great things with others. You start talking about the goodness of God in your life and the things that he has done for you. And it's amazing how our minds and our thoughts begin to change Godward. In the day of his trouble, Asaph made a desperate cry. He made a diligent search. He made a determined decision. And number four, he gave a divine illustration. Verses 13 through 20. We see, first of all, in verses 10 through 12 that Asaph explained the goodness of remembering, meditating, and speaking of God's greatness. Then he completes the psalm by actually describing God's good works, beginning 
in the sanctuary, which is either the temple or and or the tabernacle, but his way, thy way, verse 13, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? The way of God was in the sanctuary in the sense that the tabernacle or the temple and all of its rituals clearly spoke of the way to God through the blood and of an innocent sacrifice and ultimately pointing to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and His work. Everything in the temple, every item, every piece of furniture, every bit of oil, the anointing oil or to burn was all of it was made, the building and everything outside and everything inside and all of the sacrifices and the blood that was shed, all of those things about the sanctuary, all of them pointed to the way. Jesus Christ, thy way is in the sanctuary. Verse 14, thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Many times through their history, Israel saw God's faithful strength rescue them from all kinds of trouble. We think of them coming out of, of Egypt, and we're going to refer to that. Asaph refers to it. You think of how he performed miraculous things in conquering the promised land for that second generation of Jews. You think about all of the, the works and miracles and mighty things that he did under the leadership of Joshua. They saw God's faithful strength rescue them from all kinds of trouble. And Asaph is thinking of those things and remembering those things. And then the last of the word is Selah. Pause to consider. Would you consider this morning being utterly honest with God and acknowledging where you are? Can you say that you have poured out your heart to God? I can't tell you the experience of simply being honest with the Lord in humility, but in honesty. How it affects your spirit and your attitude when you rise from that time of prayer, because it's never a surprise to God. But he can handle those burdens. He can handle everything that you're saying and everything that you're feeling. And he wants you to unload those things on him because we can't handle it. It stops us from eating. It stops us from seeing God, our grief and our sorrow and our trouble, blind us to the sight of God. But it doesn't mean he's not there. It simply means he's out of focus. That we're allowing other things to block our view. Consider being utterly honest with God and acknowledging where you are in your life, in your walk with God, in your marriage, in your home as a leader in the home or a parent. Consider being completely honest with God about your feelings and your accusations and, and your questions. You have questions, just like Asaph had, and I do too. But the best person you can ask those questions to is not yourself. It's not to commune with your own heart, but to let God know of those questions. It's amazing when I ask God to, to, to teach me what something means, He'll teach me. Isn't that novel? 
but I don't always ask. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. He also says in verses 16 through 19, thy way is in the sea. And this is a description of uh, the Red Sea. And he describes all that is going on. And you imagine as the plagues through Moses and the power of God to break the, the bondage of the strongest nation on the face of the earth at the time, the Egyptians they were, they were broken by the plague. The last one was the taking of the firstborn, and all of the, the children of Israel or the Hebrews would uh, take an innocent male lamb without spot or blemish and shed its blood and apply that blood to the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. And that death angel would pass over and, and, and spare their lives because the blood was applied to them. They left with riches, they left with food, and they left very hastily, and they're headed toward the promised land, Moses and Aaron leading them, and they come to the Red Sea, and they realize that Pharaoh is chasing behind them with his, with his armies, and God, through Moses, leads them through the Red Sea and divides that Red Sea in a massive walls with massive walls on both sides, and they walk through on dry ground, but as they get to the other side, and, and Pharaoh's armies are coming through. Those great walls of water come falling down and destroy the army of the Pharaoh. An amazing thing takes place. I, I want to see it replayed in heaven. But he gives a description. In verse 17, the clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. He's speaking of, of rain and, and of thunder and of lightning and of hail. Verse 18, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. When God miraculously parted the waters of the Red Sea, it was as if he cleared a great road or path for himself that he also gave to his people to use. What does that tell us this morning? In all of the tumultuous winds and water and all of those great walls and, and the temptation of fear and that great day of trouble as the armies of Pharaoh were coming to destroy uh, the, the children of God. God made a way for them, and God will make a way for you. God will make that way. Verse 20, it's confused me in the past, or it just didn't seem like it fit, like it was abruptly placed in there. And I've read several people who have said the same thing, but I God gave me a thought that I think shows us. He says in verse 20, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And as a final description of God's mighty work at the Red Sea, Asaph wrote that God led his people like a flock on the path through the troubled sea. God was their shepherd. God was their shepherd. God used Moses and Aaron, and God uses human instruments in the leading of his people, in the leading of church, and we're thankful for that, amen? 
But God, though he used Moses and Aaron, God was their shepherd. God was their shepherd. And God wants to be your shepherd too. He loves you. He's interested in every thought and every issue that you have. You say, well, nobody else is. But when you recognize that God is, it really doesn't matter what other people may think. But it is important that you know God loves you, that God is for you, and that He has given you everything that you need to live a life of victory. Victory implies battles. Victory implies trouble. But nonetheless, they all end as we follow God, our shepherd. It all ends with victory. He is our good shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my what? My shepherd. I love our tracks out there, one of them. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he yours? I can say, I know the Lord is my shepherd. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I knew I was lost because of my sin. I knew I deserved to go to hell because of my sin. I acknowledged where I was and who I was. I was a sinner under the condemnation of God's just judgment. And when I came to the place as God drew me to himself and I understood that I was lost and deserving of separation from God in hell, there was good news. Jesus, the good shepherd, came. And he came to die. He came to take my sin and my judgment upon himself and yours and that of all humanity. And God poured his wrath and judgment upon Jesus on the cross. He became sin for us. He became our sin that we could become his righteousness. He died our death that we could have his heaven. He suffered so that we could live in splendor. He did that for us, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, as we celebrated last week and we celebrate every day, he arose from the grave. God raised him up to offer to us eternal life. And he has a gift, gift of eternal life that he offers. And he wants everyone to have it. God sent his son the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, to be the shepherd of your soul. Can you say, yep, Brian, the Lord is my shepherd. My faith is in him. And if I die today, I'm going to heaven and I know it because of my faith in him. Not because of me, not because I'm a good person, not because I go to church, not because I'm a member, not because I've done good deeds all of my life and I'm not as bad as other people. but because I was honest and I acknowledged I'm lost because of my sin and my sin demands judgment, but I don't want judgment. And Jesus, I believe that you took my judgment and I believe that you died and rose again and I receive salvation by faith in you. I believe. And on January 26 of 92, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I called out to him and that day he saved me and that day he became my shepherd. And I've been able to say and sing and shout, the Lord is my shepherd. He can be yours. 
if you acknowledge that you need him. And for those of you who know that he is your shepherd, but you're in your day of trouble, he is the good shepherd. And he will lead you through. He will guide your steps. He will be with you. You won't always sense it. You won't always know it. And many times you will question it. And so will I. But he is faithful. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, please? Do you acknowledge that you've sinned against God and understand the consequences of that sin as judgment? I want to ask you to think about this thought with their heads bowed. If you died today, do you know for sure that heaven would be your home? And in this moment, I'm trying to be the best friend in the world that you have and the friend that will tell the truth. If you don't know Christ and you understand that you need him, would you simply confess to him, acknowledge your sin, confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again for you, and would you place your faith in him this morning as your Savior? And he will be your shepherd. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you. And thank you once again for listening.